Let me invite you to get your Bible. Let's look to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. It's Palm Sunday. And uh, for the last uh, 25 years, every Palm Sunday, I preached a message on the cross, some aspect of the cross. And today is no different. Because Palm Sunday marks that time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and he began what we call the Passion Week. Uh, that time before he goes to the cross. And of course, the, the climax of it all is the cross and then ultimately the resurrection. And uh, as our choir sang, as our praise team, we sang this morning, it's all about the, the cross. Mike calls them the six hours that saved his life. Two months earlier, Mike had gone to the cardiologist and he got some really bad news. He was told that he had uh, end-stage heart failure and that there was really nothing that they could do. The only hope that he had was if he could get a transplant, could get a new heart. And so Mike uh, was really discouraged, but he went through all the testing to see if he was uh, a, a candidate, if he was a uh, compatible with for a new heart. Uh, fortunately, he was. And he and his wife, uh, Carolyn, went home. He, he was on the, the transplant list, and they began to pray every single day. Every night, they were praying and asking for God's direction and looking for uh, the hoping for a, a heart. Well, one day, a call came about two months later from a court, from the nurse coordinator, she says, we have, we have a heart that you may be uh, compatible with. Come on in. He came in. He went through all the testing. And, and, and sure enough, he was compatible with this particular heart. And so they wheeled him into surgery. They, they opened him up. They took out his, his weak, failing heart. And they replaced it with a new, strong heart. They, they sewed him up. And they rolled him out of the uh, operating room with a new beating heart in his chest. Mike says, those six hours saved my life. Have you ever had a day that changed everything in your life? Have you ever had an hour or, a, or even a moment where everything in your life changed from that time on? What about that time when you stood at an altar and you said, I do, to your husband or wife? What about that time when you first held that newborn baby in your hands, your first child, and looked into his face? Or what about that time when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you became a new person and you had the hope of eternal life? That changed everything. Not just your moment, not just your life in this world, but for all eternity changed everything. Important moments. Well, this morning we're going to talk about a time that changed all eternity. It was the time which Jesus hung upon the cross, those six hours which he suffered in agony in order to change eternity for you and for me. And I want to invite you to look with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, beginning in verse 16. Mark, chapter 15, verse 16. The soldiers took him away into the place or the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling and bowing before him. And after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his uh, own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Our Father, when we come to words such as these, for many of us who've been in church, they're, they're very familiar. And we just ask you this morning, Lord, that we can hear these familiar words, but with new ears, with new life, with new understanding, with new appreciation in our hearts for what you have done for us. And I pray for those who have never trusted in what Jesus did, that today that you would draw their hearts to you in faith, that that their lives could be changed in this moment, in this hour, for all eternity. They could have the wonderful hope of Jesus. Lord, we ask these things now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, we're going to think about these six hours that Jesus suffered on the cross. And I want you to see that there are six corresponding reasons that the cross changed eternity. First of all, the, ch- the cross changed eternity because it was an hour of destiny. It was an hour of destiny. Verse 21 tells us this. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. But they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. You think from from a human perspective, it, it appeared that what was happening to Jesus was all in the hands of wicked men. I mean, it it seems like it was at their determination, their manipulation, their control. I mean, a wicked man had betrayed him. Wicked men had condemned him in a trial that was a a mock trial during the night. Wicked men took him, carried him, nailed him to the cross and, and, I mean, from an earthly perspective, it, it appeared that these wicked men were in control of all that was happening. But that was not the case. You see, this was not a random act of violence perpetrated in the heat of the moment. This was not something that happened by chance. But certainly, it appeared that way to a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene. As his name indicates... He was from Cyrene, which is in North Africa. And he had come to Jerusalem, uh, most likely to worship during the, the Passover. And he's simply standing there watching what has happened. Now, Jesus is being led through the streets, carrying his, his, his cross or his cross beam. And, and he is struggling to do so because he has already been scourged. Now, when, when someone was scourged, the Romans would tie them to a column. They wrap their arms around, their feet would be slightly raised off the ground, tied tight so that their skin was very taut. And then a professional executioner called a lictor would take a, a whip with nine uh, strands, uh, usually having a bone or metal embedded in the ends, and they would wrap that around the back of the victim. And of course, it would begin to tear and to, to rip the skin off the back, oftentimes uh, revealing uh, the, the blood vessels and even organs underneath. Sometimes the, literally the, the bowels would fall out during these kinds of things. They, they were a form of execution. And it was a horrible, horrible thing that happened. And As Jesus was being whipped, he certainly lost a lot of blood and a lot of energy. And so when he's walking through the street, he's carrying this crossbeam, he's probably just going too slow for these soldiers. And so they grab a guy standing on the sidelines, they pull him out, they press him into service, as it says, and they're making him carry this crossbeam of Jesus. Now, how 
incredibly embarrassing, humiliating how difficult this was for Simon. Uh, He's experiencing this thing. It was frightening. And he's wondering, why is this happening to me? It seemed all out of his control. It seemed like an unfortunate event, but in reality, it was an hour of destiny. Notice how um, Mark refers to Simon. He, He is the son, he's the father of these two men, Rufus. You see those names there, Rufus and Alexander? That means that the early church knew these men, that they were a part of the church. And as a result of what happened to uh, Simon, he had, his life had been changed and his children's life had been changed. They were now a part of the church. This is an incredible event. God is at work. It's an hour of destiny. You know, on any given night in a bowling alley across uh, America, you could find you could probably find someone who's who has rolled a perfect game, a three hundred, and I mean a good bowler on a hot streak can pretty easily roll twelve consecutive strikes. That's not really all that unusual. Now, for a professional bowler, the holy grail is three consecutive perfect games, a nine hundred, and um, it's a, it, there's only been in the history of bowling 21 900s, perfect games, or, or a perfect uh, a set, consecutive stru- series. And Bill Fong was just three rolls away from perfection, just three rolls. And on January uh, 10th, night, uh, 2010, uh, he was at the Plano Bowling Alley in in Dallas, Texas, and he is on the uh, 34th frame. He's ready to roll this ball. He comes up, takes his usual five steps, releases that ball, and bam, it's a strike. The next frame, 35, he steps up again, repeats it. There's a strike one frame away from a perfect Series. By that time, everyone in the bowling alley has gathered around, all of his fellow bowlers, everyone is watching. But something happened. See, Bill is not feeling too well. Uh, back in frame 34, he began to sweat profusely, and he's feeling dizzy. And he doesn't know what's going on, but he has to continue because it's a perfect game at stake. And so he, he gathers himself up as best as he can. He gets his ball into his chest. He takes a deep breath. He takes his usual five steps. He lets go of the ball. It looks perfect. It curves just exactly the way it should. It hits that head pin at the, precisely the point that it should. The crowd erupts. Pins are flying. And it's got to be a perfect series. But the 10 pin, it wobbles wildly. But then it settles back. Into onto its base. 899. So one pin short of perfection and heartbroken, Bill Fong heads home. But the dizziness and the sweating and the nausea that started on frame 34 hasn't stopped. He goes into his bathroom, he throws up, the walls are just getting dizzy, doesn't know what's happening. And he didn't know what was happening that night. He didn't know, he didn't realize that he was actually in the midst of having a stroke. And he didn't know that he was having a stroke until he had the next one. The doctor discovered that that was the case. And when the doctor was told about this incident at the bowling alley, He said, Bill, that's probably the best thing that ever happened to you that that 10 pin didn't fall. With your blood pressure already up as it wasn't, you're in the midst of a a stroke, that could have pushed you over the edge. That could have been the end for you. You you could have been dead on the 28th lane. Sometimes things that seem like the worst thing that could happen to us are not actually that bad. Sometimes the best thing that could happen 
to us. You see, that's the way it was. That's the way it seemed when Jesus was nailed to the cross. What seemed like to be the most horrible thing could ever happen today we call Good Friday. What seemed to be a disappointing end to a great life was actually the fulfillment of destiny. And what was destined to be fulfilled was fulfilled in every way perfectly. In verse 24, it says, And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. Now, that seems like an insignificant little detail that they were casting lots for his garments. But it was prophesied that that would happen. Psalm twenty-two sixteen says, A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And that prophecy was made many years, many hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. It was a fulfillment of destiny. These were hours of destiny. And the Bible calls Jesus the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And Peter says that we are redeemed by the precious blood of that lamb. In fact, he says in in 1 Peter 1 and verse 20, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Before you were born, before the world was ever created, God had decided that he would send his son into the world for the purpose of dying for you and me. It was an hour of destiny. But the cross changed eternity because it was also an hour of distress. Verse 25 tells us that it was the third hour, that's nine o'clock in the morning, when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. Now in those days when when someone was uh, nailed to a cross, they would put a sign, a placard up, and it would read, have the charges with which that person was accused or which they had been condemned. And Pilate had had this placard made in three languages, Greek, Aramaic, and Latin. And it says, the king of the Jews. Now, when the Jewish people saw this, they did not like it. The the leaders were outraged because they wanted it to read, he said that he was the king of the Jews. Not, he is the king of the Jews. But Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. And so for six hours... The king of the Jews was crucified. Now, Mark doesn't give us all the details of what happened while Jesus was was crucified. The reason is that everyone in that first century knew the horrors of crucifixion. Uh, They knew how humiliating it was, how how torturous it was. They knew all about that. In fact, uh, you didn't even use the word crucifixion in polite language. It, it 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 was a horrible thing to think about. But when we look at the cross, the cross is almost a decoration. Something that we wear, something that we decorate our homes, our churches with. Sometimes we lose the horror of the cross. I remember being in East Asia once, and I know I've told this story probably three or four times. I'm not... My dimension's not totally set in yet, but I, I, I remember the story because it just, it always fascinates me so much. I, I was, I was um, looking at some jewelry in a little place. I was looking for something to bring back home for, for Karen, and there were all these earrings and necklaces and, and bracelets and that kind of thing. And this young uh, Asian girl comes over because she wants to practice her English. And so I start asking her, about the characters. What does this character mean? What does this symbol mean? And she would explain it to me. And then I saw these earrings that had a cross. And I said, oh, what does this mean? She says, oh, it means nothing. 
It's how you say a fashion statement. And you know, for too many people, the cross has become nothing but a fashion statement. It's lost its meaning sometimes. Uh, we, we fail to understand the incredible horror of the cross. You know, crucifixion was developed by the Assyrians hundreds of years before the Romans. They, they developed this because they were looking for a way to, to make death as painful as possible. And they experimented with all kinds of ways of doing this. Boiling people in oil, filleting them, uh, strangling them, burning them alive. They, they tried all these things, but you know what they came out with? They came up with crucifixion because they called it the living death. Because it took so long for, for people to die by crucifixion. Sometimes people could hang on a cross for three days. And the death, of, uh, the, the death of, by crucifixion is ultimately suffocation. Because when you hang by your arms, we know from the, uh, all the uh, experiments that the Nazis did on Jews in the death camps that the cause of death is simply suffocation. All of these muscles in your chest, the pectoral muscles, the intercostal muscles, they, they basically paralyze and you can't breathe. And that's, that's the cause of death. And they nailed people to the, to the cross by these two bones that come together in your wrist. And it supports the weight of the body. And the whole, of course, once they nail those to your, to the cross, they would take the feet, they would overlap them, and they would put a nail through the, uh, into the upright with the knees bent. Why? Because remember, why you die on the cross? Suffocation. This allowed the person on the cross to push up, to relieve slightly the muscles on the chest and the arms and to be able to get a breath. So if you want to get a breath on the cross, you have to overcome the pain in your feet. You have to push up and you have to get a breath and then you have to go back down again. And so the person on the cross is, is literally agonizing for every breath. And Jesus, of course, had already been scourged. His back had been made raw, and so he had to push up not only with his feet, but against the the roughness of that cross. And the question comes, Jesus was hanging on that cross for six hours, agonizing. His, His arms, his legs in cramps. You ever had a cramp lately? It's incredible how much that can hurt. The question is, why? Why would Jesus willingly do that? Why did he do it? Well, there's only one answer. Because that is the price that must be paid for our sin. That Jesus did that because he loves you and me. He loves us that much. Jesus knew the pain that he was going to experience. And he did it. I mean, today, in this very room, there are people who are suffering pain, physical pain. You, it may have been very difficult for you to get up just to come today because of the struggle that you have. There are people in this room that are struggling emotionally. That's, in fact, for you, the physical pain, you would, you would welcome physical pain over the emotional pain that you're experiencing in your life. We, we can't comprehend all that people are going through. And there are people that are, are experiencing spiritual pain, a struggle with God, a separation from him, an alienation, a battle, spiritual battle. And Jesus not only sees your pain, knows your pain, he's experienced your pain. When he went to the cross, he experienced the physical pain that we experience because of sin. When he went to the cross, he experienced the emotional pain that we experience because of sin. And when he went to the cross, he experienced the, the spiritual pain that we experience because of sin.
That time on the cross was an hour of great distress as Jesus took upon himself the price of our sin. And the cross changed eternity because it was an hour of decision. You know, people were making decisions as Jesus was hanging on the cross. Verse 27 says, They crucified two robbers with him, one on the right and one on the left. Verse 29 continues, Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild in three days? Save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Do you see that people were making decisions even as Jesus was hanging on the cross? I mean, um, the disciples made a decision. Most of them had fled. There were only two that remained. The people, the common people, were hurling uh, abuse and insults at Jesus. The, The religious leaders were savoring every moment of this. This is what they had wanted from the time they had seen him do his miracles and make and do his teaching. Uh, and even the criminals who were hanging there being crucified with him were, were insulting him. Decisions were being made as Jesus hung on the cross. These were, this was an hour of decision. Mark tells us that one man who made a decision trusted Jesus. Two men were dying on the cross. Side by one, right beside of the Lord Jesus. And one of those men chose to stop rejecting him and to call upon Jesus. And, that, and, and that is told, that's told to us in Luke chapter 23 and verse 42. And he says, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. One man on this side of the cross realized that he was suffering and dying because of the the crimes that he had committed and he had a change of heart and he decided to ask Jesus to save him. Now friends, that is the perfect picture of a person turning to Jesus Christ. We have to have a change of heart. We have to realize our sin, have a change of heart, and put our trust in Jesus. And when he did that, you know what Jesus said? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's incredibly simple. Now let me ask you a question. What could you do to make yourself acceptable to God when you're hanging on a cross. What can you do to make yourself acceptable to God when you're hanging on a cross? You can't go to church. You can't be baptized. You can't do any good works. What can you do? The only thing that you can do is simply acknowledge your sin, turn to Jesus by faith and trust him. And that's how every person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. That's how every person comes into a right relationship with God. It's simply by acknowledging our sin and turning to him and trusting him with our lives. Jesus saves us by his mercy and by his grace. He didn't save us on the basis of what we have done. He saves us when we decide to repent and trust him as our Savior. And see, we're all just like those criminals. You see, we're, we're all condemned. We're all facing the death penalty. The wages of sin is death. And if we don't change our mind, then we are going to spend eternity separated from God in the horror of hell. Everyone is there in the same place. 
This is an hour of decision. Think about it. This is an hour of decision. Because everybody here makes a choice. Everybody here makes a decision about Jesus. Which side you're going to be. Are you on the side that says, Jesus saved me? Or are you on the side that says, don't need you, Jesus? You know, you're either on the side that will take you to heaven or you're on the side that will take you to hell. In our, personal, in our postmodern world, there are a lot of people that, that think that there are many ways to heaven. And so they think it doesn't really matter which way you choose as long as you're sincere. But you know, there, there are two liquids that are um, uh, both identical in appearance. They're both colorless. They're both odorless. Uh, one has the chemical formula H2O. Of course, we call that water. And one has the chemical formula H2SO4. Now, if you're familiar with chemistry, you know that's sulfuric acid. They look the same. They don't have any odor. But if you were to drink the H2SO4, you wouldn't be here very long. And so there's a little poem that comes out of chemistry class. Maybe you've heard it. It says, poor Willie, he's gone from us. His face we'll see no more. For what he thought was H2O was really H2SO4. Yeah. Sincerity doesn't mean anything. You can sincerely drink sulfuric acid and it'll still kill you. And you see, the only thing that will save you, the only thing that will save you is trusting Jesus. That's all. And so this is an hour of decision. And the cross changes eternity because it was an hour of darkness. Look at verse 44. When the sixth hour came, that's at noon, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. So from noon until 3 p.m., the entire land was covered with darkness. Now, I don't think this was just, you know, storm clouds or an overcast day. I think what the Bible is describing here is a real darkness, like that came over uh, the land of Egypt in the days of, of Moses. Why? Because darkness represents sin. And during those dark hours, you see Jesus became sin. Think about that. Every lie that you've ever told, everything that you've ever stolen, every evil thought in your heart, every time you've had hate or envy or jealousy or lust or, or any evil thing, every immoral act, everything that you've done, that's all sin. Jesus took that upon himself. In fact, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, these were hours of judgment in which God literally takes all of our sin, he places it upon his son there on the cross, and he pours out his wrath, his fury, his anger, his judgment upon his own son. All that we should be receiving, Jesus is receiving. And it says in verse 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which translated means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does Jesus cry out like that? Because he has been made sin. He is sin in that moment. And God cannot look upon that sin. God turns his back to that sin. He is separated in that moment from God. 
I mean, when you and I are going through the difficult times, we can say like the psalmist, uh, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, I, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Uh, well, Jesus couldn't say that. He was ultimately separated from his father. The father says, no. And he is experiencing what we would experience for our sin. It's an incredibly dark time. You may have felt abandoned. Friend, you've never been abandoned. Jesus was. He did that so that you and I would not be forsaken. And you and I can spend eternity in heaven. And think about this. Not only does does he take our sin, but you know what he does? He gives to us exactly what we need. What is it we need? We need perfection. We need righteousness. He gives us the perfection and the righteousness of Christ. It's imputed to us. The same way that our sin is imputed upon Christ, his righteousness is given to us. The same way that God treated, 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 uh, treated Jesus the way we treat sinners, he treats us the way he would treat his own son. It's an incredible gift that God has given. And listen, the cross was, at the cross, it was an hour of deliverance. Verse 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. These were hours of deliverance. Uh, After six hours upon the cross and and, and becoming sin for us and after being forsaken by God, Jesus cries out with a loud voice. John 19.30, it is finished. And he breathed his last. It is finished is not a whimper of defeat. It's a cry of victory. It is finished. Our sin is dealt with once and for all. It's accomplished. Never more to become a problem for you or for me. You know, on the Dave Ramsey show, people call in who have paid off all of their debt except for their house, and they get to scream, we're debt-free, you know. And then there's all the cheering and the crowd is roaring behind. We even have a couple in our church that that got to do that, call into the Dave Ramsey show, and they got to scream, we're debt-free. It's an awesome thing. And really, if you ever listen to that show, it's amazing how much people can pay off of debt in a short time. But I hate to tell you this, you and I have a debt that we can never pay. No matter how much rice and beans we eat, no matter how hard we try, we'll never, ever be able to pay our debt to God. You know why? Because what he requires is the perfection and the holiness of his own person. And the only person that can give us that, as we've learned, is Jesus himself. He not only pays our debt, he gives us the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus. He pays every debt that you and I have incurred. And then he gives to us what we're lacking. Our God isn't a great God. You know, and to show that were truly delivered. God did something miraculous. God went to the temple where there was a huge veil that hung between the court and the Holy of Holies that separated God and man. And God took that temple, that veil, that thick veil, and he tore it from top to bottom and parted it showing that now because of what Jesus has done, we have access into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God because the sin problem has been dealt with through Jesus. 
The time that Jesus was on, a, on the cross, it was a time of deliverance. And now we can come boldly into the presence of God. And finally, the, the, the time that Jesus was on the cross, we see, was an hour of discovery. Look at verse 39. When the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, a centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of a hundred men. And this man specialized in crucifixion. He was an executioner. And, and, he, and he had overseen hundreds of crucifixions. This is the guy that could see people die during the day, and he could go home, eat dinner, and sleep at night like a baby. It didn't bother him. Yet, it says, when he saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this is the Son of God. Can you believe that someone could have a revelation of God from the way that they breathe, from the the way that they respond to something like this? He had seen hundreds of men die, and he knew that people do not stand up and have a and yell out from the cross when every single breath is just a tiny hope of a real breath. But this man rises up and cries out, It is finished. And this man said, Truly, this is the Son of God. If you, if you come to the cross, you will discover who you are. You'll discover that you're a sinner. If you come to the cross, you'll discover who Jesus is. He's the Son of God who can deliver you from your sin. If you come to the cross, you see, and you realize you're a, you're a sinner and he's a Savior, you realize he's exactly what you need. And you'll discover that the God who, is, who, who, who loves you this incredibly much, he loves you. I mean, who else would do that and why else would they do it except that God loves you? Can you hear that today in a new light? Can you hear that God loves you not in the sentimental uh, Valentine Day kind of love, but he loves you sacrificially? An incredible love. And you'll discover that if you will surrender your life to him, he will change your life for eternity. In her book, The God Who Hung on the Cross, journalist um, Ellen Vaughn tells a story of the gospel spreading into a remote village in Cambodia. And there was this uh, village that was um, um, very remote, some of the, uh, several villages actually that were very remote. And in 1999, a pastor named uh, uh, Tong Sing began going into all of these villages to share the gospel. But what he found was that the vast majority, I mean almost without exception, that they were Buddhist or they practiced ancestry worship or they worshipped uh, demons. And the, the response to him was almost nothing. He got nothing. But he finally made his way to this one village. And when he began to preach the gospel, the people were incredibly receptive. So receptive that he began to ask, why is it that you are so open to hearing my message? And this one lady shuffles forward and she begins to tell him, this story. You see, it, it appears that in the 1970s, during the, during the uh, Kim Rouge uh, regime that went through there and brutalized the people and, and just wiped out everybody in their, in their pathway, that when these soldiers finally descended upon this remote, remote village in 1979, 
uh, they first thing they did was they rounded up the entire village and they made them dig their own grave. They were standing there with automatic weapons. Uh, the practice was they would have them dig their their grave. They would shoot them in the head and kick them in. And these people were all digging their own graves. And while they were digging their graves, they were trying to prepare to die. And some of them were crying out to Buddha. Some were crying out to their ancestors. Some were crying out to demons. But there was one woman. This woman had, had approached him. and She was crying out to the God who hung on a cross. From a childhood memory, she remembered her mother telling her about a God who hung on a cross. And she was thinking in that moment, if this God had suffered, then maybe he would be sympathetic to my plight. And as she began to cry out to the God who hung on the cross, I guess the, the, the emptiness of all the other religions around them in that moment, one after one, the villagers began to cry out to the God who hung on the cross. And they were crying out louder and louder with one voice to the God who hung on a cross. And then it was like there was an eerie silence their heads were down on the ground, and they dared to look back to see their captors. And when they did, all the soldiers were gone. And this woman started to cry, and she realized, wow, that God that hung on the cross is a powerful God. And she said to him, we have been waiting for 20 years for someone to come and tell us the rest of the story of the God who hung on the cross. And indeed, he did tell her the rest of the story, that that God who hung on the cross was buried and then rose again the third day and is alive and delivers. And they discovered the true God that hangs on a cross. What about you? Today, you've heard about the the God who hangs on the cross. And listen, if you will turn to him, he will deliver you. It was destined. Before the foundation of the world, it was destined that he would come. And he came and he experienced an incredibly distressful time there on the cross. He took upon himself our darkness, our sin, and and he delivered all who will call upon him. He'll deliver you. He will deliver you. And there's nothing you can do except simply surrender and call upon him and trust him. He's the, he is the way, the truth, and the life. My question, have you done that? Ask yourself, have I, have I truly called upon this God who hangs on a cross? Only he's no longer on a cross. He's alive. And he will deliver you. I want to ask you if you would just to bow your heads. Close your eyes. And in your own imagination, your own thoughts, picture Jesus on that cross. However you see him, physically is one thing there's a reality there of God in human form taking upon himself all your sin your punishment your separation and he cries out it's finished It's done. It's dealt with. 
What's your reaction to that? I certainly hope it would be gratitude, thankfulness. I don't know what your response would be, but I hope it would be that. And perhaps there are some of you today that you, you, just, you just know that you really have not put your faith in Jesus. You, you know that story, but you've never really surrendered to that. You've never really appropriated. You've never really accepted what it is that God did for you. And you need to do that today. You need to call upon him. And you just need to say, God, I know, I know I've sinned. I know that I've got this debt that I cannot pay myself. I know you paid it for me, and I just want to accept it. I want to receive that. I, I can't do anything for you, but I surrender to you. Save me. I don't know how any other way to say it, Lord. Save me. If you did that, that's your heart today. Listen, he will save you. This will be the six hours that changed your eternity. This will be the moment that changed your eternity. This moment when you said, Jesus, save me. I'm just going to ask right now, if you prayed that prayer, everybody's got their heads bowed, their eyes closed. You prayed that prayer today, and you say, I know that was, I'm sincere, I mean it. Can I ask you just to put your hand up? I prayed that prayer today. I haven't prayed that prayer before, but today I'm praying that prayer. Just put your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call upon you. I'm going to ask you to do anything other than you acknowledge it in your own heart right now. And if you did pray that prayer, thank you. Thank you for those who put your hands up. This is something you really need to deal with in your own life. This is something that you need to get resolved. And I want to encourage you, if you would, and again, I'm not trying to put any pressure on you. I want you to do this because this is what God wants you to do in your own heart. I want to encourage you just to talk to me. Let me. Let me know about that. Let's see what we need to go from here. And let's let God begin to, this day, change you and your eternity. You're a Christian? Praise God. Your heart's filled with thanksgiving and praise? Great. Then you tell somebody else about the God that hangs on a tree. You never know what God will do with that, that simple message. Don't be afraid to tell people about this wonderful God. Our Father, help us today now to respond honestly and fully to you. And we thank you for these six hours, Lord, those six hours that changed eternity for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.